0: back to a place where, where we have inflation through the ceiling uh, you know now we have Occupy Wall Street not Kent State and all of those things now we have Ferguson or, you know not rap Brown or, and all of the things that happened then we're back to the same place only with greater intensity and the Jesus movement was born out of that so I think there's genuinely a young generation that's looking for something real I think they' I think they their nails are scraping on the wall and they're losing their grip.
1: Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Fridays with Pastor Bob. My name is Leah Dixon, and I'm here with Pastor Bob Gaglione and special guest, Pastor Joe Foch from Calvary Chapel of Philadelphia. Joe has been senior pastor for more than 30 years, and we're thrilled to have him with us. Today, Pastor Bob will be asking the questions, and I'm gonna turn it over to him. Welcome, Pastor Bob and Pastor Joe.
2: Well, thanks, Leah, and thanks, Joe, for coming. Great to be here,
0: really appreciate it.
2: So. I became a Christian in the early 80s, and I remember turning on Christian radio, which I didn't even know existed, and at that time, contemporary Christian music was just starting you know, its ascent, and they would play music all day, and uh, all of a sudden, about 5 o'clock, these back-to-back teaching programs came on, which I didn't know then, but I know now they were Calvary Chapel guys. One was Ralph Reese and then Greg Lurie. And then one day, you replaced Raul Reese, and that's how I found Calvary Chapel. And you've been on the radio for more than 30-some years. So those were the early days. And just talk to us about the power of radio and what it's meant to your ministry.
0: Well, those early days, we were just starting. So we were a bit naive. We were learning our way through all of that. And the radio station called us and I forget whether it was Greg or Rawl that was moving and they said, We feel like the Lord wants you to take this slot. And and we said, Well, what's the price? And they told us, we said, You need to go back and pray because <laughs> <laughs> if the Lord's talking to you, he's gonna lower it. Yeah. You know. So I mean we so we got involved. I think it was great for us. And I think we felt from the beginning that the spoken word it it just has a different way of coming across than, you know, now we have video, now our services. But I really think that the spoken word in some ways is less distracting, and I think it's more effective. So I think radio is a great tool. When you were in California, you were part
2: of the Jesus Movement. I'm a generation behind, so I've only read about the stories and heard things from you. but. Uh, radio is an innovative part of the ministry they were doing in California, uh, along with the music that was being written at Calvary Chapel. Why don't you tell us about that movement and you know, just what you saw take place back in the 70s?
0: Well, I think people that were born then were born in revival. And in one sense, it's really hard to communicate that. You know, I, I look at a generation now, I think that long deeply for it, but think that possibly there were methods or there were there was something to apply that brought young people in that touched a generation. And to to tell you the truth, it was a genuine move of God's Holy Spirit. I mean, to the point Chuck Chuck wasn't trying to be relative. He didn't want the hippies in the church. Right. He was anti relative. Right. And his wife had to convince him and it just was something that the Lord did. There was a tied to it. There was a a right. genuine moving.
2: Now you're talking about Chuck Smith, he was the founder of Calvary Chapel, You know, the heart of the Jesus movement. But there was a lot of innovation coming out of Calvary Chapel, right? You know, yeah. Chuck would teach the Word of God, but guys were writing folk songs, that turned into Maranatha music, which is really our contemporary worship today, it was birthed there. Uh, so many things were being born out of the Spirit, and in some ways you guys were countercultural to the traditional church of that day. So fast forward the clock now, how, how do we experience the moving of the spirit and keep that innovation in a time where we say, well, maybe this isn't the same type of revival?
0: I don't think we need the same type of revival. You know, in, in Wales, it was an inside-out revival. The church was revived, and it flooded out the doors into the streets, and it, the evangelism was a secondary, it was a byproduct. The church came back to life. The Jesus Movement was was an outside-in revival, yeah. where the hippies were, counterculture was getting saved, and they were coming into the church. The church wasn't trying to be relative to right. get to them. Yeah. The church became relative because they brought their music, they brought everything into the church. Right. Now I feel we're back in a place where we need an inside out revival again. The church needs to be reawakened again. So I don't think it's ever really the same. Uh, And I think it's still a sovereign move, but I think we're there. I mean, we're back to a place where you have an unpopular war. We're back to a place where, where we have inflation through the ceiling. Uh, you know, now we have Occupy Wall Street, not Kent State and all of those things. Right. Now we have Ferguson, right. you know, not Rap Brown or, and all of the things that happened then. We're back to the same place only with greater intensity. And the Jesus Movement was born out of that. So I think there's genuinely a young generation that's looking for something real. I think they're, I think they're, their nails are scraping on the wall and they're losing their grip.
2: So the parallel of the six 60s was, those kids were being raised by World War II parents living in a cul-de-sac community and they were rebelling against that. And the Jesus movement kind of rode the wave of that and they came into the church. Now, today's generation seems to be very cause-generated. Uh, they, they want to save People in Africa, they want—they're for women's rights, the 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 red cause with Bono. There's so many. They're so cause-driven. How do you
0: see that playing into uh,
2: what the church is doing today?
0: I don't. I don't know if they really are cause-driven. I mean, I think they think they're cause-driven, and I think they're looking for a cause. Yeah. And there's a positive side to that because I think when they find the gospel. They finally find the one that steps across all of those boundaries exactly. and does all of those things, missional, social things, Surely. evangelism. Yeah. So I think they're searching in their in their causes.
2: You, you've always taught us that the teaching of the Word of God produces the heart for all of those things. And Calvary Chapel today, if we fast forward, is known as a Word-centered church. So for a listener out there saying, well, we teach the Word too, but we don't see the same kind of life change. What is it about the Word of God, how we teach it, um, that produces that life change?
0: I think part of it is, uh, for me at least, and and I think for men that I am close to in fellowship with, there's a genuine understanding of what inerrancy is. There's a genuine understanding that the Word has its own dynamic, and there's not a lot of acrobatics to help that happen. There's a real confidence in the Word. It stood the test of thousands of years that heaven and earth is going to pass, it's going to abide. Yeah. So the Word itself has a dynamic that, that touches lives.
2: You talked about the culture
0: earlier, the next
2: generation. You've read all the statistics from Barna and these research groups. Uh, we know what's going on outside the church, but more and more inside the church, when I talked, about, talked to my guys that do youth ministry and such. You know, I think of kids with the smartphones, the pornography, um, just everything they're facing. Our youth guys are saying, you know what, this this was never like this before. We're dealing with things. We never, you know, we lived in an age where, you know, we hid magazines under our beds now like one click away. And they're just saying these kids are just inundated with this. Yeah. So your perspective as, as a seasoned guy now looking at a younger generation in the church, what are your thoughts?
0: We're outgunned and we're outmanned. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, kindergarten. I'm going to talk about some of this this evening. Kindergarten right. kids, 50% of mobile devices, yeah. and half of them have stumbled on a pornographic site. Yeah. Kindergarten kids. Fastest growing group of users, 11 to 13-year-olds. One out of three new users, a female. So... Without a moving of the Holy Spirit, without something supernatural, we're, we're, you know, I raised teenagers over ten years ago. I can't even relate to what teenagers are facing. Yeah. The world has changed so much in the last decade. So I, I think we are we are facing things that the church has never faced before. But God.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I I felt like I grew up in a dysfunctional family. There was a thousand kids in my Catholic grade school. <laughs> 45 in a class, three sections to a grade, and it was me and one other kid who, have a, who had a divorced parent. Now, almost every kid I meet, their parents are divorced. Are you know, I've, I've read studies on children's ministry where kids, they, instead of tracking parents, they track kids. And they, and they found out in the 70s that kids were four out of four for church attendance, and now they're finding it's 1.8 out of four, and it's not because the parent's not there, it's because the, their kid is with the other parent. The other two times. So it's almost at epidemic proportions.
0: Oh, yeah. African-American community in this area, 87% of children are born outside of wedlock. And for the first time now nationally, f- over 51% of all children, I believe, nationwide, all cultures, all, all races, born outside of marriage. Yeah, it's, it's unthinkable.
2: Joe, you talked about uh, what you were going to speak about tonight. You're doing our service here tonight. And I know you're going to talk about some of the signs of the times. So you gave us some of the signs. What else are you seeing?
0: I'm going to I'm going to talk more about uh, the the domestically what mm-hmm. we're facing as a nation yeah. internally and what we do about that and what the scriptures say we do. And, and you know, is there an answer for that? How do we handle that? How do we move forward? But it all the the world is so interwoven now that it overlaps into you know, international things. but
2: So so we have the, the gay marriage situation going on in most states, you know, the pot being legalized. Uh, we've got the Bruce Jenner situation with gender. Uh, obviously, the listeners out there know all the causes. Where does the church draw the line? You know, we look at Jesus, and certainly they had a homosexuality, and they had infanticide and all these issues, but Jesus didn't walk around preaching against all these things or Rome and the government and such. So so where do Christians draw the line? How much are we engaged and then how much are we doing what we're supposed to be doing?
0: Well, I think we're called to preach the gospel. If we stopped all the abortion in America and those women didn't get saved, they go to hell when they died That's and we right. would have failed. Yeah. So with with the gender issue, it, it for me... I knew what marriage was when I was five. I don't need the Supreme Court, a handful of people that just got here, they're not staying long to tell me what marriage is. This, But this is a civil government, so I think if they wanna have a civil union with benefits, that's up to the government, but they can't, take away what marriage has been for thousands of years. For you and I, it's the only thing that comes from Eden that we have from the other side of the fall. And it's it's one of the sacraments of the church. It represents Christ and the church. So it, it will never be to the church or to the Muslim or to the Orthodox Jew marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman. I think where the church has to be careful is we don't want to be stereotyped by the gay community exactly. as Bible thumpers. We yeah. want them to come and be saved and right. experience the love of Christ the way we did. And, and the church is filled with sexual failure of adultery and pornography, so we can't point the finger at them. But on the other hand, uh, we, don't want, you know, we don't want them stereotyping us because they don't want us stereotyping them. But marriage, we're going to stand with the Scripture. There's, there isn't anywhere else to go because that, that's where the power to set them free as it, as it is to set us free is. And God's love is there for them. So...
2: You make a great point. There's a, there's a secular book out called The Case for Marriage where this guy lays out that a gay couple through with, with, with just a lawyer uh, and all the laws that are already in the books can get almost every benefit that a married couple already yeah. has. So you know what they're looking for. They're looking for what God intended, and he gave common grace, right? There's people that don't know Christ, they get married. There's common grace because marriage is the one institution that God gave where every party wins, and you're right, it's the only thing that came out of Eden. Yeah. We're running out of time, so you know, you're know you kind of on the back nine in your ministry career. Uh, you've been pastoring for almost 35 years. What keeps you motivated?
0: I think what keeps me motivated now is, you know, Chuck Smith was my pastor. And undoubtedly, from 70 to 86, he accomplished more than he did in all of the years before that, you know, uh, radio stations and Bible schools. And so there's, uh, Morgan said a man gathers his ministry from 30 to 50, and he develops it from 50 to 70. So I'm in that place, passing things to younger men. We're we're expanding. We're seeing wonderful things happen. People are getting saved. So I feel like we have God's pleasure and blessing, and I couldn't be happier.
2: Bob Russell uh, is a pastor in Kentucky. Started his church with 180 people and grew it to 20,000. Very plain-spoken guy. And And I heard him say, he's 70 now, he's retired, and he said he doesn't have many regrets. He said one thing he would do, is go back and start a preaching club with junior high. And I thought that was fascinating because we talk about reproduction and we talk about the next generation. And I'm not, I am not—I look at my own life and I'm not sure how much I'm doing in that area. I think I'm doing it, but I'm not sure if I'm doing it the right way. And I was fascinated. What, and he said he wouldn't go to senior high, he'd go to junior high. Are you concerned that we're not doing enough and we're leaving it to the seminaries and the Bible colleges?
0: I'm not concerned. Jesus said the gates of hell wouldn't prevail, and here's the church 2,000 years later. Yeah. And if we knew what we were doing, Satan would take us down. <laughs> he can't figure us out, because we haven't figured it out, so we're still here. He can always you know? knock a guy off his horse. <laughs> he can and, do yeah. that, yes.
2: Joe, you pastor a large congregation, and it's a phenomenon out here on the East Coast, you know, Texas, California, a lot of mega churches and So you hear people say, well, I can't know anybody in a large church, or the pastor doesn't know my name. Um, What's your experience pastoring a large church and keeping that community vibrant and people engaged?
0: Uh, I never planned for a megachurch. That would have been some form of arrogance that... And um, I would have been satisfied. I'd have said 200. Lord, if 200 ever come, I'll be happy. So I'm still trying to figure my way out here with with what's going on, you know. And uh, I think people have said a lot to us. We have a large church with a small church feel to it, you know. So I think we're all accessible. We all hang out. We eat with people. We take time. We go to hospitals. We're involved with people's lives. I'm involved with the kids. All the pastors teach in the high school, so they're yeah. involved with the kids or the junior high, like you say. So we, we try to stay in a place where our fingers always on the pulse of what's going on in the church. and We're part of the family, the community.
2: Yeah, I think that the thing you always instilled in us, that Jesus was the Word, but He tabernacled among the people. Yeah. And I, I always get a weird feeling when I see ministers on a stage that never congregate among the people or move around. And and I think no matter what what side of the argument you fall on, a small church, when we were smaller, we had to get bigger. So we had to go on mission joint missions trips. We had to do things to get bigger. Now that we're bigger, we try and get smaller. Um, And there's benefits to a larger church. You get a youth pastor. You can take trips to Israel, uh, Christian school, things of that nature. Uh, Let's jump to Israel because you've been there over 20 times, I think. Mm -hmm. We lead Bible tours there. Uh, Talk about Israel, the land, and the experience, and why you think somebody should get on a plane and go
0: there. Uh, I think—no, no. no, I'm in a context of evangelical— Theology and, and belief, you know, there's a whole part of the church now that, in Reformed theology, that doesn't see they, they're tortured by Israel. They don't know yeah. what to do with the modern. They think it's temporary. Yeah. They really need to get on a plane yeah. and go. To tell you right. the truth, but for our church, if we go and I, and I like to keep the tour to three buses because it remains intimate. Then you have 150 people who come back. They look at their maps for the first time, and they're better Bible students. They all know each other you know and you see the historic reality I mean you you go see the liberty bell here you go there and you see the the gates of dan you see the the jerusalem you see the garden to them. you see the historic reality so for me I think teenagers if we can get them there to see the historic reality of what they believe it's huge and and people gathered from all different backgrounds and nations they're there it's you can't escape the impressions that uh, that come on your heart while you're there. So I think it's a great trip. And, and besides God saying, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. I just, it's a way still to bless the nation, but uh, it's the epicenter of, of a lot of things.
2: What about people that say, well, it's too risky to go to the Middle East and they, they look at their TV and they see ISIS and all these things. Uh, maybe you can alleviate some of those fears.
0: Well, anything can happen anywhere. That's right. You know, uh, uh, yeah. statistically, if you want to be honest, there's, you're, you're way safer in Israel. Than in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. <laughs> and these days, Baltimore, That's New right. York. Yeah. You know, uh, you're way safer there statistically. Yeah. So. But, so, But you see the news. Look, the news makes all of our impressions. All of our impressions, you know. So what we think of Muslims, the news makes us think what we think of Muslims right. to, to a large degree. Yeah. Muslims think every Christian is Michael Jackson yeah. and you know they have a, they right. have an impression of Americans. Yeah. So the the media is largely responsible and if they're not pro Israel, we get a very different view of what's happening in that part of the world. Final
2: final thoughts um, I know you guys believe in Christian education. You started a school some time ago. I know for pastors, that's a large undertaking. It's a financial drain. There's headaches. Um, talk to us about Christian education, and then the flip side: if we put all our kids in Christian school, will we take all the salt and light out of public school?
0: All the salt and light is out of public school. <laughs> it's almost a survival mode at this point in time. You know, hey, look, Christian school is a school full of kids that have Christian parents that want them in Christian school. It's not a Christian school where all the kids want to be there. We have to put out… Especially high school. Oh, yeah. We have to put out kids for drugs and for sexual things, and they agree when they come in. you You cross certain lines and you're exposed. It's the same as a Christian college. There's no such thing as a Christian college. But there are good schools. I think Liberty, there's some great schools around. But you have to find the kids that are committed there, or you can find the cake parties. You can find the kids smoking dope. Exactly.
2: Now, you actually teach in your Christian school, right? You teach Bible. Yep. Tell us what that's
0: like. For me, it's wonderful. I love to get in the room with the, with the kids, and I tell them, look, I'm going to be transparent. If you t- if you think I'm being phony, you can call me on the carpet in front of the whole class, but you're not going to be phony with me either. And they cry. They open up. And like you say, there's always 6 to 10 that are, come, that are from broken homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are kids that, that have had to become adults at 15, 16, 17, yeah. and haven't had a chance to be kids. And it's heartbreaking, But but I love bad kids. I love yeah. troublemakers. I want always want some of them in my class because I love them and they respond. So we have almost an epidemic
2: today, not only of young kids, but even believers who have walked with Christ for a long time. At least I'm seeing it, 25 years, married, they're getting divorced. Guys I knew who were walking with God, back on drugs. Uh, there's always been backsliders, but for somebody listening today and thinking about walking away from the faith because maybe they lost a child, they, they've gone through some horrific things. Um, any, any advice?
0: I haven't lost a child. That's a deeper water than I've ever been in. Look, walking away, and, and we do see marriages break up when children mm-hmm. pass and so, mm-hmm. so forth. That's very different than someone who's willfully in rebellion against the Lord in sin so uh, you can find other people that have gone through loss and and but the scripture says the last days people are going to walk away so be careful stay on guard it's going to happen yeah
2: well joe uh you've been a blessing to us and the fruit of your ministry is throughout the philadelphia area when we go to the harvest crusade uh, i just think of how unthinkable that would have been 10 20 years ago if you never made the decision to come back so um If you're listening, Joe's on at 7.30 on WFIL. Uh, Make sure you check out his program. And, uh, Leah, you can send us off.
1: Pastor Joe and Pastor Bob, thanks for being with us today. And listeners, thanks for tuning in to Fridays with Pastor Bob. As always, we would love to hear from you. So please visit us on the web at ccdelco.com or email us at radio at ccdelco.com. Join us on Wednesday night, July 1st, as we welcome Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin to Calvary Chapel of Delaware County. Lieutenant General Boykin has had a long and distinguished career in the service of our country, from special ops forces to the cia it will be an honor to have him with us on july 1st for Sizzlin summer at sizzling summer we do church outside our fabulous food court opens at six o'clock and programming begins at 7:30 with worship under the stars and tremendous teaching you won't want to miss it to learn more visit www.ccdelco.com thank you and god bless